Hey guys, it's Emma and Shannon, and welcome back to our podcast, She's an Engineer. In today's podcast, we're going to talk about changing careers. So first, we're going to talk a little bit about what second careers are and the benefits to changing your career. And then we're going to go into a few different career paths that engineers could transition to. Lastly, we have a very special interview with my Aunt Donna, who experienced a pretty significant career change in her life, so we're going to ask her some questions about that. And just as a note, the first part of this podcast, I think, is going to be relatively short in comparison because I think a lot of the information that we got from Shannon's Aunt Donna, who actually went through a career change was more relevant and can help answer more questions that people may have. So let's start off with just like defining what second careers are. So second careers are any job that's different from the job that was regularly held in the last five years. Most of the time this happens in midlife. And some people also define this as a job or a career you take on after the age of 50 or after you have retired from your first career. However, this can also be before retirement. So let's say that you want to change careers at the age of 30 or the age of 35. That would also be considered a second career if you had worked as an engineer, for example, from the ages of 22 to the age of 30. Yeah, and I think there are a few different reasons why people decide to start a second career. I think some of them are planned, some of them are not planned. I've also kind of considered a second career later in life. That might be fun to like mix it up down the line. And for those that aren't planned, I feel like people might just experience burnout with their career, like hit a wall where they feel like they really want to make a change in their life and their career would be a big part of that. Yes, I definitely agree with that. I think that a second career is also something that I have thought about. I think most often a lot of engineers or physicians or people in the STEM field will think about working in industry for the first, let's say, like... 40 years of their life and then once they officially retire from the engineering industry or wherever they're working they want to do something else so they either go into consulting or teaching for example so teaching like high school physics or you know high school chemistry so why don't we dive in to the actual process of changing careers and things that I think people should be considering while they are changing their career. Yeah, and I think the first step in the process of changing your career is realization. So whether you had this planned out to eventually move to a different career field, or if one day you came to the realization that you no no longer want to work in this industry, I think it's important to realize it and figure, figure it out for yourself and make sure this is a decision you're confident in making and you want to make in your life. Yeah, and then the next step is actually deciding to move forward. So actually deciding to, for example, leave your job in the next two years while trying to gain the experience and transition into this 
new career path. So for example, you might have to get your teaching certification if you want to become a teacher. So you might want to stay in your current position for two years or for four years or for however long it takes to get that teaching certification and then transition over to that new career. Yeah, I think that's probably the safest move to make sure that you have all your licenses and degrees already met for your new job while you're at your current job and you don't just leave all of a sudden. So making sure you're having or making sure you have all of those steps in place to really help you out in your next career. And then the last step in the process of changing careers is actually doing it. And this is probably the hardest part because it it means quitting the job you're currently at or leaving the job you're currently at and losing that security and comfort comfortability of having probably a well-paying job and also comfortable job and diving into this brand new field. Yes, I will also say that sometimes, you know, this might require more schooling and that might be scary if you haven't been to school in a while. So let's say for engineers who got their bachelor's degree and they want to, I don't know, go back to school to become a physician at the age of like 40. That requires like four years of school and then four more years of residency. So yeah, I think it is a big step. And I don't know, just just change in general is hard. Yeah, I think a big part of this is learning to adapt to this new job and like you said, changing to something completely different that you probably haven't been doing or have done for maybe decades before. Yeah, and I think a big important thing to consider while you are changing careers, first of all, I think people need to plan appropriately. I think planning is a big part of this, so you need to get all your ducks in a row, basically. Discuss with your family or discuss discuss with other people who have gone through this process and figure out exactly like what you need to do and do the research you need to do to figure out, let's say like your next like five years down the line, your your five-year plan for how you're going to be able to change your career. And a big part of this is finding the skills that are most valued in that industry to also learn new skills that will help you in this industry and just be open to learning and changing and just like being, as you said, super adaptable in the process. There are also a lot of transferable skills from one industry to another. So for example, I think if you're in engineering management, a big part of engineering management is like working with people. So working with people, if you want to go back into, not go back into, but if you want to go and become a high school teacher, you have to work with the kids, but maybe in a, in a slightly different way. So you're working with people in a different way. So these skills can, some of these skills can be transferable. And sometimes I think technical skills can be transferable as well. So let's say you want to position yourself in a way where you uh, have the best leverage to get a good position or beat out other candidates for a position at a school and you are very familiar with Python and a bunch of coding, maybe you could leverage yourself and become like a 
like an intro to engineering, like an intro to programming teacher at a high school and use those technical skills as well. Yeah, I think that's really important to note. And we talk about this with my aunt a little bit and all the new skills she had to learn, but I feel like there was a lot of overlap of skills at like your current engineering job that you could bring over to your new job that maybe you hadn't have thought of before because maybe they weren't necessarily technical skills. Maybe there are some social skills that you learn from working in a group scenario or maybe like leading a group that you could then pass on to your new job. Yes, I definitely agree with that. And I think we'll talk a little bit more about the transferable skills and possible good second careers for engineers. Obviously, we're not suggesting that people like have to use these as like a second career, but these are a lot of careers that engineers will go into after leaving the engineering industry. But I think next we'll just talk about maybe the potential benefits for career change. So I think for some for some careers, there is the potential for a higher salary. I will say though, that if you're looking to go into teaching like in a high school or in a middle school from an engineering job in industry, I think you will find that the salary will be lower in your second job. But if that's what makes you happy, then sometimes that's worth it. Yeah. Another benefit of career change is appreciation for creative ideas. I think maybe this comes from getting out of your engineering mindset where you're very strictly following the rules or requirements and maybe you're taking on a job that allows you to be more creative and I feel like you undergo a lot of personal growth here too being able to explore these different sides of yourself that maybe you hadn't been able to in your past job. Yes, I definitely agree with that. And then I think another one is being able to participate in cutting edge projects. So maybe, for example, you're going from like a mechanical engineering job where you're working with lots of like product design, but then you decide to go into more like software development or like cybersecurity, which is like kind of like a hot topic right now. You could be just doing more projects that interest you or more projects that that are more like new and upcoming, like things doing with AI and things like that. So yeah, so that could definitely be a huge benefit to work on projects that will like really help further technology in our society. Another benefit, which kind of goes along with what you just talked about, was the scope for invention and experiments. I think this might come in play when you're deciding to maybe go back and get your PhD. I feel like especially for civil and environmental engineering, if you're working in industry, like I mentioned, you're very much sticking to the requirements and designing things within those standards. But if you do have the ability to go back to school, you might be working on like new experiments and new inventions in that particular field. Right. And I think the last three, I'll just list them off. So the first one would be traveling. So maybe you didn't get to travel in your previous job and you decide to do some consulting. Consulting also sometimes requires a lot of traveling. You're going to, let's say you're going to different manufacturing plants, something like that. If you uh, went from a very like stable job to, you know, this consulting job, then you would get to travel. 
And then the second one would be contribution to society. So let's say that you want to, this is like not like strictly any like second career, but if you wanted to transition from engineering to healthcare, right? Like healthcare management or just healthcare in general, then I think you would find that there would be more of a direct contribution to society rather than like an indirect contribution to society. I mean, or co- just contribute. I feel like that's wrong to say because engineers definitely do contribute to society directly by creating products that help society. But I'll say like it in you can contribute to society in a different way from a different like perspective from a from a different just like. A different field, yes. And that also leads into helping others. So let's say, like in your previous job, you didn't really get to help people directly, like in terms of healthcare or anything like that, then in this new position, maybe you would get to do that. Or maybe like this is why you want to transition to a new career. Maybe you want to help children learn more about engineering maybe you want to help them succeed in high school so that they can then have successful careers in the future and you know transitioning careers to become a professor become a teacher is a way to do that I think we're using the example of like teaching in high school a lot probably because like that's what your aunt is doing and that's what I think a lot of people think of when they think like second career for engineers right they think of like teacher but we're not saying that like that's the only second career you can transition to. Yeah, and I think we'll talk about a few other careers engineers can more easily transition to in a little bit. But I think the biggest question is deciding when you should leave your career. And obviously, this is very personal. I think we talked about this a little bit in Why Less Women Are in Engineering in that episode because we talked about some key reasons that engineers may leave their job. And I think a few of those are not feeling like they're growing enough as a professional or they don't see a good career trajectory in that uh, specific profession. I think another reason also could be compensation Uh, This kind of goes along with your career trajectory. And then a few other ones that I can think of off the top of my head. One would be just like not a conducive workplace. If you don't feel like the management at this particular company, or I guess if you're working with a lot of larger companies in engineering industry, I feel like you could feel like a small fish in a big pond and maybe decide to transition to something where your job ends up being more meaningful for you. So those are, I think, a few I I came up with off the top of my head. Right. Yeah. I think also something to note is that like maybe people feel like, I don't know if you, uh, I think you said this, but like basically like it doesn't offer enough growth. So maybe like you've like hit your limit, you know, of like, What you can do in terms of like management or just like you feel like there's no way you can progress further in your career and some people like really, I mean, some people really like that like very stagnant, like very stable 
like career life, but some people like really want to grow up and up and learn more and more. Like, let's say like every five years, like transition into a new position, like every five years. And that might be a reason why you would change your career. And then also there's the aspect of like, maybe there is no like work-life balance at your previous position. And you, I don't know, you like want to, you have a family now, you want to go home and really like see your family and take some alone time for you and you know maybe transitioning to a less hectic career like less time intensive career would would help you do that yeah exactly and I think now we'll touch on a few different second careers that engineers could more easily transition into Yeah, so I would say that a lot of the fundamental skills of an engineer include maybe strong numeracy, problem solving, and logical thinking. And so these might be more desirable characteristics for a few of the following fields. So the first one would be research and development. That could be within engineering as well. Like you could work for an engineering company doing research and development, but maybe that's like not what you were doing before. Or you could do R&D for a pharmaceutical company. I don't know if engineers would be able to do that, but I think chemies could do that. And I think bioes could do that. And I think if uh, other engineers went back to school maybe or took a few more chemistry classes, maybe they could do that. Yeah. And the second one here is actually the one I've considered the most, which is a patent agent or attorneys. And specifically within civil and environmental engineering, I feel like a lot of it comes from wanting to make an impact on society, which that kind of in turn makes you think about environmental protection attorneys who do work with that. And I I feel like that's kind of interesting too. Although for those particular second careers, you would need to then get a law degree and do a lot more schooling before you could transition. Right. Yeah. You would also need to take the bar exam for wherever you want to practice. Mm -hmm. And that is something to think about. But I think a lot of engineers do, if they do do law after getting an engineering degree or after working in the engineering field, actually, I think one of my friend's dad is now a lawyer at an engineering firm after getting his engineering degree. But anyway, yeah, it's cool. So... I think people do it as well, like if they're in like the product development field, because product development, I don't know, there's a lot of like invention and like new ideas and like patents that are coming out. So Mm -hmm. they definitely do need people who have a background in engineering as well to like do some of that stuff or to like know some of that background knowledge. And then another one could just be like anyone who's in like business leadership and I think this goes hand in hand with like engineering management. A lot of that is like very applicable. So doing any sort of leadership at like any big company or any small company. And this just like, it's only because like this requires a lot of the same skills that engineers already have, including problem solving, time management, project planning, attention to detail, good communication, teamwork, data processing and numeracy, technical knowledge and computer skills and another two second careers to consider if you're an engineer are a software specialist and a product manager yeah and i think the last one we've touched upon a lot 
previously and it's that you could become a teacher so whether that be a teacher in middle school high school or even college that is a possible second career choice I will say to teach in college most of the time I think you need uh, at least a master's to be like an associate professor but I think you definitely need a PhD to be like Uh, tenured faculty and a lot of times you are expected to do research at the school so that is something to think about like do you want to go back and get your PhD or would you rather you know just do a a few years of school and get some work experience and then work as a teacher in secondary education yeah that's something I've also considered like you mentioned if you just have a master's degree you can work as an adjunct professor and you could also do this on the side or part-time if you still want to work in engineering industry but if you do want to completely transition to a professor then you'll need to get your your PhD and do probably a postdoc program too. Yeah I do know a lot of people who I think one of my co-ops there was an engineer at the company that I was working at that was also teaching like I think a product development or like some uh, bioengineering course at a local university and actually like some of the co-ops that co-op interns like the engineering interns that I worked with actually took that class and said it was like super interesting and like very relatable not only because they already worked at that company and so they knew what he was talking about but because that the professor like also, you know, had a normal like nine to five job and had experience in the industry. I think that's something that I haven't seen too much of, at least at Pitt. I mean, there are some professors, especially in medical product engineering, I think that do have uh, experience in the industry. But I think sometimes sometimes professors don't and I think it is helpful to have some classes where professors have that perspective yeah exactly so now if you really want to make a big transition in your career we're going to talk about a few non-technical fields that you could get into the first would be some form of technical writing job and I feel like if you're coming from a background in maybe writing a lot of engineering reports for your company and doing more regulatory work, then you could probably have a pretty easy transition to a technical writing position. Yeah, I definitely think a lot of people who do R&D or who work maybe more in like a laboratory setting or even like a manufacturing plant setting, they're used to doing a lot of technical writing in terms of like SOPs and just like writing out directions for people doing presentations that sort of thing so I think technical writing I think is like something that most engineers do in their jobs so I think that would be not like easy to transition over to but you already have most of the skills that you need to transition over to this particular field Mm -hmm. yes and then the next one we kind of touched on which is like management or administration sometimes for this I think you'll need a MBA, so a master's of business administration, and also to develop your managerial skills. But sometimes, you know, an MBA isn't needed if you already have some experience in management, or maybe you like managed a couple of engineers, so you already have some of that experience. 
Yeah, and something pretty different from engineering is digital marketing. And I feel like if you're on the more creative side, maybe in some sort of product development, and if you want to pursue something more direct to consumer and a little bit more creative, then you could go into this field. Yeah, I think a lot of times this type of field, you might need some more experience or some skill set in like graphic design. I think some of that is needed in digital marketing or just like understanding, I think in general, how consumers think and like who your customer base is. I think that's important. Mm -hmm. Um, Just like understanding what your customers want and like how to maybe sell them your product or your software or whatever you're trying to sell. Mm -hmm. And then the next one could be like finance management. So this could either be through like treasury management or like risk management or project finance management. A lot of times people will become like a project controller, which means that you will manage all the finances for the projects for a specific department in a company. So you're in charge of all the finances and making sure all the books are up to date and that everyone has signed off on everything and that people are following all the rules and regulations of the company in terms of finances. And I think a lot of people in engineering already have experience in finance management. I know like whenever you're doing some sort of like big project that requires capital funds or just like any sort of money in general, like you need to keep track of it and you need to know how to manage your money. So uh, this requires a lot of work with like a financial department, but I think this is like fairly not like easy to transition over to, but, but yes, like people, people can transition over to this field. Yeah. And another field would be sales management. And actually one of my old bosses from an internship was not he wasn't officially an engineer but he he actually did a lot of work in sales and communicating with the customer who is buying our water treatment systems so i feel like this you could still have a lot of technical work as a sales manager but then be the like in between between the engineer and the consumer kind of relaying their needs back and forth and coming to like some middle of the ground decision that works with both parties. Yeah, definitely. Um, And the last one would be consulting. I think we mentioned this quite a bit before as well. This is a career that a lot of engineers will eventually go into or will consider going into because this is like instead of working for like one specific company, right? You can really like set your own hours and Oftentimes, I think consultants do make more like in terms of like per hour than a like salaried employee at a company because they're like needed like on the spot or something like that. But this does require like lots of travel, lots of time management, maybe like you have to go somewhere away from your family for like a few months to complete a project. But yeah, there are tons of consulting firms. So you could either do this with a consulting firm and, and they can help you. They can like basically place you on projects or you can become a consultant yourself and be like self-employed. Yeah. So I think there's just lots of options out there. If you do decide to transition into a second career after being an engineer, and I think you undergo a lot of career growth along with personal growth 
So there's many advantages, but also some downsides to, to consider before transitioning your career. So I guess this concludes the first part of our episode and we'll transition into our interview with my Aunt Donna. Hi everyone and welcome to Coffee Time. In this segment we are going to be interviewing my Aunt Donna so I'll pass it over to her and she can tell us a little bit about herself. Oh, okay, great. Well, hello, everyone. And uh, as Shannon said, Shannon calls me Aunt Donna. Most people call me Donna. A few people call me Mom. And my students call me Mrs. Timmons or Timmons, depending on their mood. So I'm happy to be here today and to chat with Emma and Shannon about all things, well, all different things, engineering, career change, all kinds of cool stuff. So I think this is really cool because I'm in Rochester, New York right now. Shannon's sitting in Montana and Emma is outside of Baltimore and we can all see each other and hear each other. And that's just amazing to me. So I know this is focused a lot on engineering and I actually am. I still consider myself uh, an engineer. I worked as a chemical engineer for about 25 years And then I made a bold move to become a high school teacher about 14 years ago. So I think Shannon and Emma are curious about why in the world I would have done that. (laughs) So we'll be talking about that a little bit. And when I'm not working, I know we tend to identify ourselves with our profession, but uh, when I'm not working, I like to be outside doing active things. I do a, uh, I'm do. a cycling enthusiast, especially in the summer and fall. And I get out walking my grand dog quite a bit, a little bit of hiking. I hope to get back into doing some traveling to exotic places once the pandemic is over. But those are my some of my passions. Awesome. What's your favorite place that you've traveled to? Oh, wow. What a question. So many choices. I think my favorite place was actually outside of Paris. I I went to France as part of my job with Eastman Kodak Company. We acquired a small company outside of Paris. It was near Disneyland outside of Paris. And there was a community there that I thought was so very cool because it was very sustainably designed. It was in a circle and they had modest size homes and apartments on the outside of the circle. No cars were allowed inside of the circle. It was all walkable. There were little shops, shops that you needed to go to or might want to go to on a day-to-day basis. And there was a train station walking distance from the place and you could take the train into Paris. That's what most people did. They, they worked, you know, in the city and then they came back to this lovely oasis. I just thought that was a really, really neat spot. And it was, had views of, you know, very, very pristine looking farming plots of land. And it was just a really neat place to be totally unexpected, but It was uh, something that I discovered really by accident through work, not something that I planned uh, on my own. Yeah, that's really cool that you were able to do that through work. I guess the next question would be, 
why don't you just give us a brief overview of your educational background, how or why did you choose your career? So like your previous career as an engineer. Okay, sure. So I am a very proud Ohio State graduate. I earned my bachelor's degree in chemical engineering way back in the early 1980s. And it's hard to say exactly why I chose that major or profession. I think there's always a variety of reasons that people do what they do. So I was influenced by friends, family, Shannon's father, my brother was a civil engineer. And so I became aware of the profession through him and he seemed to like what he was doing and was taking some really cool courses. I also found myself to be kind of obsessed with solving problems when I was in high school. I, I would solve algebra problems. I thought they were more fun than crossword puzzles. And I looked at engineering as a fun thing to do because I know that it involved, or I knew at the time that it involved solving problems. So that's probably why I went into that general field. When it came down to choosing which flavor of engineering, because there's so many, there's civil, there's environmental, there's biomedical. I chose chemical, I think largely for comfort. I felt very comfortable in a lab setting, mixing things together. It just felt good. So that's why I, I chose what I did. I, I really relate to enjoying working in a lab. I've gotten to do that a lot more in grad school. So I understand. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a lot yeah, of fun. It, it is fun. Okay, so did you have any work experience during college? And if so, how did this influence or affect your decision for your career path? Sure, yeah. So I did some secretarial work during college in between summers, my early years, between my freshman and sophomore year, and then sophomore and junior year too. And that actually taught me a lot. It taught me how people interact with each other in a, in a work environment, taught me a lot of organizational skills. So even though it wasn't directly related to what I ended up doing, I, I got a lot out of that work experience, including being able to type 60 words per minute, <laughs> which comes in handy to this day. As I got on, as I progressed through my education, I got a more engineering type job between my junior and senior year. I worked at Alcoa as an environmental intern. I did a lot of environmental sampling. So my base was in Pittsburgh, but I ended up traveling to Indiana, to Texas, to Messina, New York, and I took air and water samples did some analysis of them and even got to climb a smokestack. <laughs> so that was, that was a good experience too. That was the extent of my work experience in college. I did not work. I know a lot of people work part-time as they were taking classes. I had the luxury of not having to do that. And I'm really glad that I had that because courses just kept me very, very, very busy. I would have not had much fun if I was working and taking classes at the same time, but I admire people that do it. Same. I think we're both also in that situation where we were very lucky to be able to focus on our classes and really focus on the material instead of being worried about 
working, although working is good. Were you able to actually do any research while you were in college? Like, did you work in a lab? Yeah, as a matter of fact, I was part of an undergraduate research course at Ohio State. It was an elective course. And I partnered with one of my professors to do desulfurization of coal using microbes. So it was more of a pilot. It was kind of a cross between lab scale and pilot scale. But yeah, I really, really enjoyed that. That's very cool. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So moving on from college, so what was your first experience in the field of engineering like, like after college? So what type of work did you do? And also how long did you work at this company? So interestingly enough, it was the undergraduate research that kind of led me to explore biochemical engineering. And that's what my first job was. I worked for Eastman Kodak as a biochemical engineer. And I was at Kodak for 25 years. I think I had five different careers during that time. (laughs) Same company, never moved cities, but I did a lot of different types of work. The first was doing lab and pilot scale fermentation processes. And it was an amazing experience. Most people think, what the heck was Kodak doing? I thought they were all about photography. And that was their core business. But it became pretty clear to the business managers that Kodak would need to diversify at some point because photography was starting to take a different path. So that's what our lab was all about, was researching new businesses for Kodak. And so I worked on fermentation of animal feed supplements. And eventually, after a few years, co-authored a patent on the production of what's called an ice nucleating agent. It's a microbe that can be added to snowmaking machines that improves the efficiency of the snowmaking operations. So it's got a little environmental benefit because the snowmaking facilities don't have to pump as much water uphill when they make their snow because it's a more efficient process. So that was my first five years at Kodak. After that, the pendulum kind of swung in the other direction and the company decided we got to get back to our core business. So we're going to sell this little offshoot (laughs) company So I had a decision to make. One was to stay in Rochester. The other was to move to California to work in the company that we had sold this technology to. And I had some pretty strong roots in Rochester at the time. So I chose to stay with Kodak and made another switch back to environmental engineering at that point because Kodak had a serious environmental problem right at that time. So it was kind of serendipitous. There were some leaking underground storage tanks that were discovered that were contaminating some of the groundwater. And so they needed people to help solve that problem. There was some air contamination going on as well. So Having the experience at Alcoa kind of gave me a foot in the door to be able to work in that field. So I did that for another five or seven years. Also a great experience. Worked with some really, really neat people. 
And that led to designing products. There was a job that, that opened up. Design for environment was really big at, at that time. And so after working in manufacturing and supporting manufacturing for a long time, I thought, well, it'd be really cool instead of responding to environmental issues, why don't we try to design them out from the get-go? And so I worked with single-use cameras, closing the loop on that product so that we would recycle the camera body and actually turned out to be a lot more economical to do that than it would have been had we not done that. So that was one experience and had a number of others. I got to work with some of our digital product development teams to build in energy efficiency, like into scanners. We earned the first scanner Energy Star label was a, was a Kodak scanner. So that was kind of cool to work on that as well. The product design work that you did, it mm-hmm. sounds very similar to a business, I guess, concept that we that we introduced to everyone in our sustainability episode. I think it's called C2C. I think that would be considered a C2C like business model, a C2C cycle where like everything that you take from a product gets like recycled back into the environment or gets put into the environment through like biodegradable processes or gets put back and like recycled into like new material. So that's very cool. Yeah, I'm so glad that they're teaching that because that was not a subject that was taught when I was in school. So we, part of my role was actually to teach the engineers who were working on the new products to think about those things, because the focus was all on, you know, make this thing for this much cost that does these things. And many of the criteria or none of the criteria at that time considered the end of life of the product. So we were you know, spend a lot of time just opening people's eyes. And once they thought about it, it was like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Why don't, why didn't we think of that before? (laughs) Yeah. So after 25 years with Kodak, what influenced you to change your career? Oh gosh, so many reasons, I think. And I'm glad you asked that question because it gave me kind of the opportunity to reflect on that and say, why, why did I do that? And looking back, I think part of it was I really enjoyed the teaching aspect of the job that I had at that time, the product design job, really got a kick out of working with people in, uh, you know, a classroom setting, doing brainstorming, improving things. And I thought, "Eh, you know, I might want to do a little more of that. At the same time, a lot of times reinvention comes out of turmoil and there was a ton of turmoil going on. This was the early 2000s. So the world had just gone through 9-11 and that caused a lot of people at, in my age group, especially to reevaluate their, their sense of purpose. And a lot of people ended up switching careers at that time. I know a lot of people that became firefighters or, you know, more public servant type people instead of working in the corporate culture. So I think that had an influence on me as well. In addition to that, there was quite a bit of financial turmoil going on at my company. Kodak 
was going through a technology paradigm shift is one way that it was described where the chemical process of creating images was being replaced by electronic imaging. And although Kodak invented the electronic imaging, they were not in a position to take full advantage of it from a business perspective. So competitors started eating Kodak's lunch. (laughs) And so, you know, the company had to change with the times and that involved a lot of layoffs of people. I saw a lot of friends laid off rather than going down that route by someone else's choice. I thought I started thinking about other things I might want to do. And so my children were in high school and middle school at the time was a little bit involved in their science classes. And I thought, you know, I think I could really make a difference bringing some of the experience I had from working in science to the classroom to help students understand why they were learning science in the first place. That's one thing I felt was lacking in my own high school experience was I learned all kinds of stuff, but I never knew what it was used for. So I wanted to bring that to more young people. Yeah, definitely having a teacher who like from my experience has been in the industry is really helpful in learning about applications. So like I took a chemical engineering class in high school and I thought that was really helpful to like learn about what actual chemical engineers do rather than just like learn the base like information. Mm-hmm. But did you always foresee yourself going down this career path? I know some people have the intention of going into engineering or going into a specific field, working in industry for like an undetermined amount of years and then teaching. Did you imagine that for yourself? Not early on, not at all. (laughs) I did uh, have some teacher friends after I had been working for, you know, five or 10 years. And that's kind of what planted the seed in my mind. But early on, no, I thought I would be an engineer forever. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I, I still am, I still consider myself an engineer and I, some of the labs that we put together at school have an engineering twist to them. You have to figure out, okay, how can I do this economically, but at a scale small enough that it can be done by high school students. Do a lot of your students ask about what you did at work in the engineering industry? The uh, Some do. The students that I have for a longer period of time, like I, I teach several levels of chemistry. So the, the, in the first level, I, it takes a while to connect with the students and to hear each other's stories because we're always so rushed with, you know, getting through the curriculum. But eventually those stories come out. So when I have students again for a second year, say with advanced placement chemistry, that's when they've matured. So they care a little bit more about that stuff and they they start asking more questions. So I can't say they ask me a lot of questions, but when they do, it always leads to more questions and it makes, it enriches the, uh, the whole class when, when that happens. Yeah, for sure. So what qualifications or new skills did you have to learn for your new career path? Oh, gosh. It's not the stuff that they teach you in school. 
you know, and content wasn't a thing. I, I really didn't have to learn a whole lot of new chemistry, but I really had to learn how to work in a whole different culture, a whole, you know, youth culture and a whole educational culture as opposed to a corporate culture. As an example, one of the first couple of days where I was working, the students started just calling me Timmons. And I was a little disturbed by that at first because my generation, we always referred to our teachers as, you know, Mr. Timmons or Mrs. Timmons or Mr. Jones as a sign of respect. And I thought, boy, they're, they're calling me Timmons. They must not like me or they don't think of much of me. But it turns out that was actually a sign of respect. And it, I had, it took some conversations with other teachers for me to realize that. Another student said at the end of class one time, boy, you really killed it today. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I thought he didn't like the class. You know, I was like, oh, gee, I wonder what I could have done differently. But he was saying, hey, I really liked class today. But it was a language that I didn't understand. So I had to learn those, those new things, those new norms, those new, you know, a whole youth culture I had to, to get used to. The other thing that was an, an adjustment was, you know, for 25 years, I worked primarily with men. And because most of the engineers in, well, not just at Kodak, but in the industry were, were men. So I became very accustomed to that. And as I started in the education world, all of a sudden I was working with primarily women. You wouldn't think that would make such a huge difference, but it, it did. I had some adjustments that I, that I had to make. And I had to buy, get a new wardrobe. I couldn't, couldn't uh, go to high school <laughs> in, in the clothes that I wore in the corporate world. So that was, that was something I had to change as well. Did you have to go back and get like a new certification in education or were you able to just go in and, I don't know, get some teaching experience and start teaching? I did have to go back for some certification. Uh, I had to take, I had plenty of math and science courses. What I did not have were things like adolescent psychology. You have to take drug awareness because you have to be able to spot students who might be you know, using, or there was also a, a child abuse class that I had to take to be able to recognize signs of students who might be abused at home. And I did have to do some student teaching as well. So it took a, it took a bit of time, but I think it was a year and a half. I was able to do most of the coursework while I was working, but the student teaching, I had to take some time off to do that. Okay. Yeah, that's not that's not a super long time actually. I I don't know, I was picturing it being over the course of like maybe like 4 or 5 years, but I'm glad it didn't well, take that long. <laughs> yeah, now that was to get my what's called provisional license. I did have to go back and get a master's degree to get my I don't know if it's called permanent for certificate professional certification in New York. You need a master's degree in order to stay teaching. So you know, I say I had to go back. I actually enjoyed that a lot. And the benefit of starting as a teacher with a provisional license is the school paid for my master's degree. So that was a nice perk 
to be able to uh, to do that. Yeah. Did you need to get any other qualifications to be able to teach AP? Surprisingly, no. I did on my own. I went to a couple of seminars and did a lot of studying on my own of the curriculum itself. But you don't need uh, certification to become an AP instructor. That's interesting. Yeah. Most of my AP teachers were like, had doctorates. So I was really surprised when I did have teachers that didn't have doctorates. So I just didn't know if that was a qualification or not. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's not. But a lot of teachers shy away, especially from AP chemistry, because they don't feel comfortable with the material. But, you know, I, I had up through physical chemistry in and thermodynamics and all that stuff through my bachelor's degree. So I, I felt really comfortable. And in fact, it was a lot of fun to go back to it to see how much I remembered. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I know you touched on this, but how difficult was this career transition? Uh, it was, it was not easy. It was something I really wanted to do. So I stuck with it. I do have some acquaintances who made the same switch. And after a year, they went straight back to where they came from because it was not, it was not a good fit for them, but it was something I really wanted to do. The first two years were a bit of a blur because first year teachers, there's so much work. It's kind of like fixing the plane while you're flying it because you have to be teaching and then developing your your lessons all at the same time. So it was a very, very busy first year. And then the second year, you realize all the stuff you did wrong. So you go back and fix all that up. So the third year, I felt very comfortable. The first two years, they were, that was kind of, I felt like I was flying by the seat of my pants, but the students did fine. And I think I was probably harder on myself than, than I needed to be. But it was not easy. The other thing that anyone should be aware of who's who's accustomed to a chemical engineering salary is I took a pretty big salary cut when I went into teaching. First-year teachers do not earn a lot of money. I was fortunate. Uh, I was, uh, my husband's uh, job, between my husband's job and, and my job, we had plenty. But we did have to adjust to going from two big salaries to one big salary and one more modest salary. And the one thing I do tell people who are thinking of making a transition like this is expect the unexpected. Because when the financial crisis happened, that was 2007, 2008, my husband was, his job was affected by that. So we went from two big salaries to one modest salary. And that took a lot of adjustment to get used to, but we, we made it through. And, and, you know, I think a lot of times you appreciate things more when they're scarce, you know? So it was, uh, it was a good character building experience. Mm -hmm. So I think this leads into the next question. Uh, In the end, are you glad you made this career transition? I am. I, I am glad you asked that question because I wanted to reflect on that myself, but, but I'm, I'm very glad. I think I always would have wondered had I not done it, you know, what would it have been like? I think I would have regretted not doing it. And that's what older and wiser people than, 
and I say is that you always regret the things you don't do more than the things you do. So I feel like I grew a lot as a person. I was in a little bit of a bubble, you know, being in the corporate world, you don't get exposed to a lot of diversity. I mean, there's some diversity. I worked with people from all different countries, especially later in my career, but you know, social economic diversity wasn't really there. And, you know, getting into teaching, I, some of my students are immigrants and they came to this country with literally nothing. I had two twin brothers two years ago who came from uh, Cuba after the, the hurricane there destroyed Cuba and they lost everything. So they're aunt and uncle took them in and they were some of the nicest, most appreciative students I've ever had in my life. And it was, it was great to talk with them about their experience. They didn't even know the language when they came here. And within a year they were speaking fluent English. So I really grew as a person being aware of other people's circumstances and how different they are from my own. That's great. So I guess to wrap it up, what advice would you give to people who are looking to change their career? Ah, well, um, the first piece of advice would be to do your homework and talk with other people in the field. So you really know what you're getting into. Sometimes the grass looks greener on the other side and it, it may really not be. So you got to make sure that you're changing for the right reasons. So I'd say do your homework, talk with other people as much as you can, network. And if you decide to do it, expect the unexpected because there will be things that you can't anticipate and you have to be prepared for that so that you can, you know, per persevere when the going gets tough. Okay. Well, <laughs> this was really great advice and it was great to hear so much about your career and your career change and all the experiences that you've gone through. Is there anything else you want to ask Shannon? No, I think that's it. I just want to give a big thanks to my aunt Donna for being on this episode. And hopefully this was helpful to some of our listeners who are thinking about changing their career. Oh, well, thank you for the opportunity. And it was wonderful. I think what you're doing is great. So Keep up, keep it up. And I have subscribed to the podcast, so I will be listening. <laughs> Thanks good. so much for the encouragement. It's really good to hear. Okay. Well, you guys, you go for it. We'll see you guys in two weeks for our next episode. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode and bye. Okay, bye. Bye for now. <laughs>